The following message is by Pastor Billy Newhouse. This sermon was preached at Baptist Church of the Redeemer. For more sermons, please visit bcredeemer.org. Well, about 20 years ago, I had the privilege to attend a Bible study at Texas A&M. I'm sure a couple of you might be familiar with this Bible study. It's a Bible study called Breakaway that was started probably 25 years ago. It was uh, Tuesday night. It wasn't necessarily sponsored by the university, but it was held on campus um, by some Aggies that, that got it going. And I heard, heard very good things about this Bible study as I was an incoming freshman. And so me and a few of my friends decided to go check it out. And before I knew it, Tuesday nights at Breakaway and College Station became a regular staple in my life over the next four years. And when I was there, it was already pretty big, but it continued to get larger and larger over the time that I was there. I think it started in a hotel uh, the very first semester that I went before it quickly moved to a large Baptist church in town. And then within a couple of years, it was meeting in the basketball coliseum at Texas A&M. And as I saw it grow, I got to know a couple of the people there. And one of the guys that led music for Breakaway at one point decided that he was leaving that ministry. And... As he was leading music on the last day that he was there, he sang a couple of songs at the beginning like he normally does, and then he, he, he read from Matthew 7, verses uh, 21 and following. And let me just read this to you this morning, familiar verses. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not the typical verse you pull out of a Bible study that has 5,000 people at, but I appreciated what he was saying. He said, um, I don't want anyone who thinks that they come to this Bible study and they sit in these chairs and they even lift their hands and they participate in what we're doing, just because you do that regular routine week in and week out, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a child of God. He was very clear with his gospel proclamation. He wasn't dismissing people who gather regularly and faithfully and raise their hands to praise God, but he was wanting to make sure that the people that were gathering were gathering with the right heart, with the heart that had been changed. He wanted to make sure that people weren't just playing a part. And as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount over the past three months, this theme that has been throughout our study has been the righteousness that God demands of His children. Jesus began this famous sermon by saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus then goes on to call His followers to live a practical life of righteousness. He doesn't call us to a mere superficial level of of righteousness that looks a slightly better than the world around us. Rather, he demands a righteous living from his followers. And in Matthew 5, what we just finished, again, we've, we've, we've been doing this since August, Jesus described how this deep and genuine righteous living is to be, and he calls his children, his followers, to practice this truth with their lives. This is how we are to live. We are to obey our Father in the actions that we do. But as we come to chapter 6 this morning, Jesus now turns his teaching to his people's inner motives for why they practice their acts of righteousness. And over the next three weeks, we'll be looking at Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. This first verse in, in chapter 6 kind of, is, is kind of sets up the, the following 17 verses, but 
what we'll see over these next 18 verses is Jesus addresses giving, praying, and fasting. The crowd sitting before Jesus would have been extremely familiar with all of these acts. Any religious person saw these duties as part and parcel with their devotion and worship to Jesus Christ. These three practices are basically the broad and basic areas of spiritual activity. They express our duty to, our duty to others, our duty to God, and our duty to ourselves. And so Jesus isn't telling his disciples, here are three ways that you can worship me. I want you to be people that give, people that pray, and people that fast. Jesus is saying, he addresses each of these acts by saying, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And so Jesus is assuming that his followers already engage in these acts, and he's wanting to go beyond the mere mechanics of what they're doing, and he wants to teach them why and how they're to give, pray, and fast. And in this passage, we quickly see that Jesus is not making some slight adjustments to the manner in which some people give, pray, or fast. Rather, Jesus is commanding a radical call to his children to be different than the way the rest of the world practices their piety. Jesus is saying that giving is so much more than simply pulling out your checkbook. Praying is so much more than stringing together the right phrases and maybe using the right tone. And fasting is so much more than skipping a meal and drinking a smoothie. In Matthew 6, Jesus is showing that true righteousness is not expressed, not just in acts of the worship that we do, but is expressed through the hearts and motives that are driving these acts of worship. And our focus this morning is just going to be on these first four verses. I know I've said giving, praying, fasting. That's just kind of a preview of what's to come. We're going to look at these first four verses this morning on Jesus's instruction on how we're to give money in a manner that properly gives God the glory that's due his name. And I just want to say here at the onset, there's a lot of verses that we could look at that deal with money, that deal with giving, that deal with our hearts. Uh, Matthew 6 that we'll get to here in probably, probably four weeks, Jesus says not, that we're not to store up money, that we're not to serve it. We're not to let it become our master. We know in 1 Timothy 6, Paul talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. We know in 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we know that the Macedonians are praised for the generosity of their giving. And so there's a lot that we could say on giving this morning, but our focus is going to be mainly on the motive the reason why we give. And so the main point this morning is true acts of righteousness, such as giving, demand inner motives that are aimed at the glory of God. Again, true acts of righteousness, such as giving, demand inner motives that are aimed at the glory of God. And as I meditated on this passage over the last couple weeks, I'll just have to say I was reminded about how much God loves his children. Jesus knows that it's very easy for us to dress ourselves up religiously. He knows it's very easy for us to even pull out the checkbook or to find some cash and give it to somebody that has a need. It's easy to say a prayer. It's easy to skip a meal or two. But if we're doing these things with false motives, we can easily deceive our hearts. And Jesus wants us to be on guard, not to be those who have deceived ourselves with the actions that we do. So this morning we're just going to look at we're going to look at two points. 
uh, should be there in, in your outline. We're going to look at the danger of man-centered motives in verses 1 through 2, and we're going to look at the delight of God-centered motives in, chapter, in verses 3 and 4. And so let me just read these first two verses this morning, and we'll look at this first point, the danger of man-centered motives. Jesus says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. I think perhaps it's tempting to gloss over these first few verses, maybe in particular verse 2. We might quickly hear Jesus' words and think, well, it's hard for me to relate to someone who is displaying such a blatant display of showiness. In my 12 years at this church, I can honestly say I've never seen one person ask for a trumpet procession prior to them giving a gift. Um, Jason, I don't know if you've ever had any requests to play a few chords of your guitar um, prior to anyone dropping their offering in the box in the back. I, I mean, I've never seen anything even remotely close to this. But I believe as we look closer at these two verses, we see the motive that's described by Jesus and the reason why some people practice these acts of righteousness before others. And we read that they do this in order to be seen and in order to be praised by men. So they want to be seen by men and they want to be praised by men. And so Jesus is addressing this self-serving and self-gratifying gratifying inclinations that can drive or influence our acts of worship. Again, as I said at the beginning, verse 1 is a general statement that's going to talk about all these acts of righteousness, giving, praying, fasting. And so Jesus says at the very beginning, he says, beware. He issues, he issues this warning to us. Again, Jesus knows the temptations of our hearts. Jesus knows the bent of our heart that perhaps we may not want a trumpet procession, but we know it's nice to have a pat on the back. It's nice to have a approving Look, but Jesus says, beware, watch out. Our hearts are deceitful, and it's very easy for our motives to be misaligned. And if we're honest this morning, again, I believe it's a real temptation for us to do good, biblical, even God-commanded things for the recognition and applause of others. It's just a real temptation. And Jesus is actively calling us to hold our minds to this warning. This verb that Jesus is using is in the present tense, and so our call isn't to, to hear this warning one time and then kind of go about our regular business. It's to hear this constantly over and over, to make this our constant pattern of holding this warning in mind. And again, I don't think there's anyone that's necessarily blowing trumpets or asking people to meet them on, at the curb so they can help them carrying their large uh, stack of cash, but again, I don't think any of us are immune to allowing our acts of giving to be motivated with some degree of human pride. And so the problem that Jesus is addressing, the problem with human praise, Jesus knows that we, when we begin to crave the esteem of man, that we sinfully seek to usurp the glory that's due God's name. Throughout the Bible, we see over and over that God's, God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of of his name. God says in Isaiah 48, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. 
Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. In Ephesians 1, 4-6, Paul tells us that God chose His people for His glory. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace. And the verse that Sam read this morning from 1 Corinthians 10, 31, our call to worship, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So again, throughout the Bible, we see over and over that God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of His name. So this is what is at stake when we seek to do acts of righteousness, when we want to be seen and praised. And so in verse 2, Jesus moves to His first act of righteousness as He shows the folly of one who gives to the needy in order to be praised. In this specific act that Jesus is referring to, He's talking about almsgiving. This would be giving to the needy, giving to the poor. And in biblical times, there, there was no governmental assistance. The needs in the community were to be, were to be met by the people. Um, often the church was the one that met the needs of the people. And so it was a common practice for the Israelites to take their money to the temple and they would give it uh, to this offering that would then be distributed to those who had needs. And throughout the Old Testament, we know that we see that God is aware of people's needs and He is, he is supremely compassionate to help meet the needs of His people. And He has a heart for the poor. In Deuteronomy 15, 11, we read, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. God commands Israel to leave grain for the poor. In Exodus 23, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 14. And so we see that God has compassion on those who have less means, and He's always calling His people to care for those who have needs. So even though Jesus is referring perhaps to this specific act of almsgiving, to giving to the needy, I believe that we can take this principle and that we can apply this to our offerings, to our missionary support, to the other ministries that we give. Our call as believers is to honor God with the resources that He has entrusted with us. And the manner that we honor God includes both the act of obedience of giving to God and also the motivation for giving. And so God is pleased and God is honored and God gets glory both when we give the gift and also with a heart that is motivated to rightly honor God with our gifts. And in verse 2, Jesus centers in on this misguided motivation that these individuals have and he ridicules the manner in which these people have turned this righteous act of giving into a display of self-glory. And so Jesus it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to follow along. Jesus describes a pompous religious person making his way to give money as he goes to the temple. That would be used to help the poor. In front of him marched trumpeters blowing their horns and attracting much fanfare as they perform this spectacle to perhaps attract a crowd. And we don't know if the, if the Pharisees like, or the hypocrites literally had trumpets played or whether Jesus is just like painting a picture Um, to jolt his listeners into seeing what self 
served glory looks like. But either way, Jesus is rebuking the one who gives with the, desi- with the desire to receive the applause of man. That is clear. And so, in Jesus' rebuke, he uses very strong language. Jesus calls these individuals hypocrites. This is a word that would be used for an actor, for someone that's just simply playing a role. These are those who have laid aside their true identity and they've taken on a false one. This is the idea of someone who pretends to care for the needy when their real concern is, is ultimately the recognition of other people. And so these are actors. These are pretenders. These are people who have used a public veneer to mask a true identity. C.H. Spurgeon says to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other hand is a picture of hypocrisy. And I think this might have been shocking for some people to hear. Um, Jesus is rebuking individuals who have given money to help the poor. And so let's be real, the money that they are giving, it is being collected and it is going to be used for need to help the poor. And so there is some good that is coming out of this, right? Um, Money is being handed over and it's being distributed to those who have needs. But the message that Jesus is communicating is he's saying, I'm not as concerned with what your hand is doing. I'm not as concerned about how much money is coming out of your wallet or your bank account. But Jesus is saying, I'm concerned what your heart is thinking as your hand gives the money. And friends, let me say the same concern that Jesus had 2,000 years ago is the same concern that he has for us today. I think we should ask ourselves every time we give money to the church or to a missionary, uh, to a parachurch ministry, to some organization, we should ask, is my giving an act of worship? Is this aimed at the glory of myself or is this aimed at the glory of God? And we need to be careful. I found in my own life that often misguided motives are much more subtle, but they're just as sinful and dangerous. I think these mixed, partly man-centered motives can arise in, 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 in several different forms. This could happen to the person who perhaps sponsors a table at a ministry banquet and their, their main goal mainly is seeing their name in the bulletin or, or seeing their name on the program. Uh, it's not a bad thing to do. It's all about motives. But if, if the main reason that you're going to sponsor something is to see your name highlighted, then we need to repent of that. This could be the person who wants to perhaps brag about their giving as they find a way to kind of sneak it into a conversation. This could just be a one-on-one conversation. This could be with several other people. But maybe there's just a, a part in the conversation where you can slip it in and it, and it kind of fits. I think this could be a temptation from a generous church member who wants, to, who wants others to know how much they give, maybe hoping that that can give them some influence over the church or over other people. Or it could be as simple as this. This could be our own hearts, maybe getting our end-of-the-year statement when Tanya passes these out at the end of the year and gladly opening it up and looking how much money we gave and quietly patting ourselves on the back. And Jesus tells us when we, decide, when we do this that there is a loss of reward. He says, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. But he does say, you will get a reward, but it's going to be the reward that you're looking for. You're looking for the praise of men and you're going to get that. But that's all that you're going to get. And so this is a sober warning. This is a sober warning. Jesus is saying the reward that you want to get is to be seen. And that's the exact reward that you're going to receive but we all know that that reward is fickle. It's fading. It's earthly. 
And friends, this pretentious giving that seeks to impress others rather than give glory to God is, 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 is atrocious. It's an act of publicized giving that's motivated by man-centered desires to be admired. And the fleeting reward is human praise. But by contrast, Jesus tells us in verses 3 through 4 how his followers are to give in a manner that honors God. Let me just read those two verses to you now. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. In these verses, Jesus gives us the antidote to flashy giving. And he tells us to give in such a way that others wouldn't even know that you're giving. In fact, this phrase, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, goes beyond others seeing our act of giving. And there's a sense that we're not even to tell ourselves about this gift, which is, I know it's not possible to do that, but we see the, we see the message that Jesus is telling us. The right hand is normally the dominant active hand. This is the hand that would be giving the money. And Jesus is saying, as the right hand is giving the money, the left hand shouldn't even be aware of what's going on. This hits at our propensity to feel self-righteousness when we give a gift. Again, I believe Jesus knows our hearts. He knows the temptation. I mean, I'll be honest, this is a temptation for me. It's a temptation, even if no one else knows besides Stephanie and I, there's a temptation to want to pat myself on the back for some small amount of money that I'm contributing. And so Jesus knows our hearts are deceitful, and he warns us from dwelling on our good deeds that can turn into an act of vanity. Jesus also contrasts this public arena where the hypocrites love to give by telling his people that they are to give in secret. And this is a vast contrast to the hypocrites. Jesus is saying, give in secret and don't even um, dwell on the giving that you do. So Jesus is telling us to keep our giving private. And in doing so, our Heavenly Father will see what we're doing. And in turn, He receives glory. And that is our goal. I believe to do this, it's very helpful for us to have an audience of one. We want to have a vision where we are not seeking the praise of man. We are not seeking self-commendation, but we ultimately are satisfied with having God as our only source of approval and reward. And so to do this, we remember our wretched state prior to God opening our eyes and by His grace drawing us into a saving relationship with Him. We remember God is the one who rescued us when we were His enemies. He's the one who lavished mercy upon us. He's the one that sent his only son in order that our guilt and shame would be removed and he would give us his righteousness. As we consider the gospel, as we consider God's radical submission to his glory and his call to save his people, then we in turn give him glory by honoring him in this way. And I think it's possible that someone is thinking um, about Matthew 5.16 right now. I know I thought about this as I was preparing this, this message. Matthew 5.16, we, we were in this just a couple months ago. Jesus says, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good, good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so perhaps someone's saying, What are you saying, Jesus? In 5.16, you tell us that we're to do good works so that other people see this and they give you glory. And here you're saying, 
you need to do this in secret. And I don't think there's any discrepancy at what Jesus is saying. Jesus' aim of his instruction is the same thing. He said this in two different ways, but what Jesus' aim in Matthew 5.16 and also in Matthew 6.3 is he's saying, no matter what you do, do it with a motivation to give God glory. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus is saying, live in such a way that other people see your love for Jesus, and in doing so, God receives glory. Don't be afraid to let your light shine for the glory of God. But in Matthew 6, 3, Jesus is saying, but when you're tempted to give into the human praise, then let me encourage you to act in a non-discreet, private manner so no credit goes to you. All credit goes to God. And so he's saying the same thing. Live in such a way that God gets glory. Let other people see your good works and give glory to God. And also, if there's a temptation for you to do some act where other people, where that's the, 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 the praise that you're looking, will do so in a secret, non-discreet way so that God gets glory. So Jesus is saying, let the glory of God drive your actions every time you are led to give to the Lord. And I believe every time we give, there's probably three main motivations that drive our giving. I think the first one is the obvious one that we saw in verses two, verses one through two. Well, perhaps we give in such a way that we want to be recognized. We want to be praised. I think it's very obvious that when we do that, we're to repent of that. We're to confess that sin to God and pray that we, by his grace, give differently. I believe there's another way where sometimes there's this kind of mixed motivation. We want to perhaps not give in such a bold, flashy way, but as we're giving, we are secretly congratulating ourselves. And again, we should repent of that, that way as well. And I believe the third way is we just want to give in a way that brings God glory and it seeks the Father's approval. We're seeking no recognition. We could give the biggest donation we've ever given and nobody on earth finds out we're satisfied because God knows what we are doing. Friends, Jesus is graciously getting to the heart and the motive of our external act of giving. And he's saying that God wants so much more than our monetary gifts. He doesn't want us boasting or craving human attention. He doesn't want people saying, look at me. His desire is for us to conduct our acts of worship in such a way that he receives all the glory and that, and that, and that nobody needs to be aware of any aspect of our giving. And let me just say that this doesn't mean that everything we do needs to be done in secret. Every act to the Lord needs to be anonymous. And so I'm not saying when you get your end-of-the-year statement from Baptist Church of the Redeemer that you don't open the envelope, you take it straight to the shred bin and you, you put it away. I mean, if that's, a, if that's a temptation, then maybe you do need to do that. But that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's also not saying, okay, we, we, anytime we give money, anytime we bring a meal to a family at this church, we're going to issue ski masks and we're going to have an unmarked car and we're going to ask these two people to show up, put the masks on and deliver the money or deliver the goods. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus is saying. So this isn't a literal obedience to this. You do see pictures of individuals in the New Testament of, 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 of them giving a gift and them being acknowledged. In Acts 4, we know that Barnabas sold a piece of land. Then he came and he left the money from the sale of the gift at the disciples in the presence of the whole congregation. And Barnabas was not disobeying God in this instance. He had given his gift for God and he was honored by it accordingly. But in Acts 5, we know that Ananias and Sapphira tried to do the same thing, but we know that they did that as hypocrites and they were struck dead by God. 
Likewise, Paul praises the Macedonian church for their generous gift for the poor people of Jerusalem. And he boasts about the pledge that the church in Corinth made to the same relief project. And so Jesus is not instituting a new command that you, can, that you always have to give in secret. Again, Jesus is concerned with our heart. He's concerned with our motive. He's just saying if you're tempted to give for the wrong motives, if you might be tempted to give so that you'll look good in front of other people's, then remove that temptation by doing your giving in secret. Keep it confidential and your motives won't be in question. I think Jesus is also not saying that you've done wrong if other people find out about some gift that you do and they're impressed by that or or they're thankful by that. Jesus is not saying that that's a bad thing. In fact, I know of several families that I've just gotten to know, friends of mine over the the past um, several years who through conversation, through living life with some of these people, you, you just find out without them telling you about it all the time, you find out that there's certain people that perhaps give large sums of money to different ministries and different organizations. And I praise God for those people whose lives have a testimony because they are a generous giver. We often talk about, like, who are the prayer warriors at a church, right? We know, okay, if I have a prayer request, I'm going to go to these two or three people. They're my prayer warriors. I think it's helpful for a church to know a few of the generous giver warriors. Like, who are the people that we can go to when there's a need that arises? These people have an example and a life that displays the glory of God. And um, again, they're not doing this for their own self-praise, but that we know that they're doing that to support the kingdom of God. Let me just personally say, I think most of you know our story. We were flooded out of our house about a year ago, and during this, this, these past 12 months, there has never been more encouragement, more love, more financial gifts that our family has received. And I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for other churches. I'm thankful for schools. I'm thankful for people that I don't even know that were kind and gracious to us during that time. And for a lot of the envelopes we received, whether it was a gift card or whether it was a, a check or whether it was a meal, a lot of these were thank you notes with names of people. I'm thankful that those people didn't give us an anonymous thank you note or, uh, or card, I should say. I'm thankful to know of people that were at schools in other states and churches in other states and friends of this congregation in other states that were praying for us and supporting us. And it it ministered greatly to our family. And so I'm thankful for that. And so Jesus isn't saying that you can't ever tell people about something that you're, you're, you're doing. So we just want to be careful what our motives are. Why are we doing these things? Are we doing these for people or are we doing these for God? And the reason it's so important to guard our motives in giving is because the reason why we give will determine how it affects our lives. Jesus urges us to give in secret so that our motives will be completely pure. And as we look at this last part of verse 4, it says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Those who give with pure motives will be rewarded by God. And what is this reward? This reward might be something that comes in this life or it might be something that comes in eternity or it might be both. Jesus doesn't give us what these specific rewards are, but he does say that we will be rewarded. In Proverbs 19, verse 17, we read, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. Paul says in Philippians 4, 18, I received the gifts you sent and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
So friends, there's a big difference between the two ways that we give. There's one way that we can give with a, with a motive to be seen and praised by others, and we get a very temporal reward that, that is gone as quickly as receives it. God gets no glory. There's another way where we can give, and perhaps we do this in secret. Perhaps we just do this with a motive to give God glory and to see his name praised. And when we give in this capacity, God receives glory, and there is great rewards for his people. And so let me conclude this morning just by asking uh, this question. What is our application? I had a tough time with application today. You can't really do a lot of application when you're getting to the motives of why people do things. But my first point of application this morning is I just would like to encourage anybody that's here um, who is maybe simply just playing a part to, to stop playing that part. This could be someone that's just showing up at church on a regular basis dressing themselves the right way, saying the right things to those in this congregation. We read in Isaiah that these people draw near to me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We know that there is a way to look the part. There's a way to look the part and to act like you're following Jesus when in turn you may really not. And so if if that's you this morning, I would plead with you to confess your sins, to repent of your sins, and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And I think for the rest of us this morning, our application, any time that we are invited to participate in giving to, the God, in giving to the cause of God and His kingdom, we need to ask ourselves, what is our motive? Why am I giving this gift? Am I giving this gift for the praise of man or am I giving this gift for the glory of God? There are several ways that we as a church will be able to use the resources that God has given us. Um, we're going to be saying more over the next several months on a church building campaign, as we mentioned this at the last members meeting. Um, Colin wrote, a, wrote a, gro- a great note that was in the, the weekly email this week about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We'll be um, collecting that in, in the month of December. All that money goes straight to the needs of missionaries. We also know that there are different needs that arise within um, the church family that are, that are here. Maybe even there's just a neighbor that you know or a coworker that you know. And so there's lots of areas where we can give to the Lord and we can help others. And let me just say, I'm thankful for, for, for the representation of this church for so many years. I'm thankful for the generous God-glorifying giving that I have seen from so many people at this church. But friends, I just want us to be reminded that when we get the privilege and the invitation from God to honor him with the financial resources we have, Jesus isn't saying, like, I need your money. Without your money, I'm not going to make it. Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to come participate with the great work that I'm doing. And so my hope and my prayer for us individually and for us as a church is that we're not a church. We're not individuals that are looking for pats on the back or recognition from men. But we're those who are content with God receiving glory. And these stories rippling on of sacrificial God-honoring gifts throughout eternity. That's my prayer for this congregation. Let's close in prayer now. Father, we thank you for the way that you so graciously speak to our hearts. I know that I am prone to be able to look the part, be able to speak the part, be able to act the part. And Father, we know that that kind of acting, that kind of posturing does nothing for you. And so we thank you for your grace in these verses this morning. We thank you that you rightly instruct us to check and examine our motives so 
that in doing so you may receive glory. And there is greater joy and greater reward for your people. And so, Father, we praise you for the way that you have blessed us financially. And, Father, we pray that you would help us be a church and a people that give with God-honoring motives, praising you for the work that you have done in our lives and for the work that we want to see you doing in this world. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. For the glory of God, Baptist Church of the Redeemer seeks to obey Christ in the Great Commission task of making disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can find out about us at our website, bcredeemer.org.